Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. All right, friends. Well, hello and welcome back to the podcast today. I have another guest for you. This one's going to be awesome because we're going to talk about money, which you know is one of my favorite topics. I am joined today by Melissa Houston, who is a CPA and financial strategist for CEOs. Melissa helps successful business owners increase their profit margins to keep more money in their pocket and increase their net worth. She's also a columnist at Forbes and the host of the Business Society podcast. Hi, Melissa. How are you doing? Hey, Brayden. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me here today. Of course. I'm very excited because my audience knows that I love to talk about profit. Like revenue is great, yes. but at the end of the day, if you don't got money in your personal bank account, like what are we really doing all of this for? Exactly. I love to hear that because I feel there's not enough emphasis on profit. It's like people talk about the revenue numbers, but it's like, <laughs> really? Well, what does that mean if you're yeah. not making profit? Yeah, we can we can dig even deeper because, you know, as a tax attorney, then I'm really big about take-home pay. So we're looking at the profit and then we're talking about taxes and then like, what's our actual take-home pay? So many layers go into this, but Melissa, we're going to keep this like really casual, kind of fun. Uh, when you sent over the information for the podcast, you had a number of proposed topics. They were all fabulous. Um, we're going to kind of go a little bit, I don't want to say all over the place because that doesn't sound very good, but we're going to talk about a few different things that I think will be really interesting for my audience. But yes, before perfect. we do that, I think it would be great to get a little info about your background. So how did you get into like providing fractional CFO services and maybe explain to my audience what the hell that even means? Yeah. Okay. So that's a great question. Um, a little bit of a backstory is when I first started my career, I was actually a social worker. So my first career was in social work. And then, you know, after working about six years, I realized it's a high burnout area. So I did the practical thing and became an accountant, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know, everybody's dream. And um, after working, you know, two decades in accounting, I mean, I knew for a while that what I was doing wasn't really fulfilling me as a career because I was really missing that social work aspect of what I do or what lights me up. So when I decided to go out on my own, I knew that I was going to be doing business coaching and fractional CFO work. So I really enjoy helping small to medium-sized business owners, either with business coaching or the done-for-you fractional CFO service. And the fractional CFO is just a fancy way of saying you're hiring a part-time CFO in your business, right? So all large corporations have a CFO, but smaller to medium-sized businesses kind of lose out on that guidance and advice and support because they're very expensive to hire on a full-time basis. Mm -hmm. Most don't have the capacity on payroll for that. So you get to pay a fractional price to have a CFO come in, help you with your you know, finances, being the most senior financial person in the business, the right-hand person to the CEO, it really helps you optimize your profit and make sure that your profit margins are high and that um, everything's running smoothly and that you're doing your financial planning. And if you're growing, it's really important to have a, a CFO by your side 
with that growth strategy and so many other things that CFOs do for business owners. I love that explanation of the fractional fractional CFO, CFO for a fraction of the cost. We love yes. that. You said you help small to medium-sized businesses. Can you quantify that for my audience? Because I think as financial professionals, like that means something that might mean something different to a, a lot of non-financial professionals. Absolutely. I mean, you know, small businesses are usually like the solopreneur business owner and medium-sized business. And I'm not taking this from a textbook definition. Medium-sized <laughs> businesses are, you know, typically you've got, you know, 10 to 50 employees and, you know, you're making seven, eight figures in revenue per year. Um, so the medium-sized businesses tend to need more of the fractional CFO services because they, the owner doesn't have time to do all this work themselves. They need the support and guidance of a CFO. And for solopreneurs and smaller type businesses, it's really great to have not a fractional CFO because that's still a little pricey for what they their price range is you know, available to. But um, it's great to get that one-on-one -on -one coaching you know, yeah. sort of a replacement, sort of a fractional CFO, but somebody who's really helping you understand your business finances so that you're setting a really good financial foundation for your business that you can grow and scale on. Love that. Yeah. The, the tax code typically defines a small business as a business under $25 million in revenue, which, you know, <laughs> <it's funny. laughs> um, so I typically tell people that I work with micro businesses, which I don't know if they would love that term, but I, then I consider a micro business like under a million dollars in revenue. I don't know. The um, tax code just seems so stuffy and restrictive. Well, you can get creative with the small to medium sized business definitions, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I have a, my selected version of the tax code right behind me. And it's about 3000 page, I call it 3000 pages of Bible paper. You know, that like paper. Yes. Paper. Yeah. Yes. Selected versions. Oh, it I know. Missing. I used to work in corporate tax and, you know, kudos to you because that was not my passion. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Okay. So one of the top, like one of the topics you, you have that you, you said you love to chat about is this topic of seven figure mindset means nothing if you don't have profit. What's yes. this all about? Yeah. So, I mean, what we touched a little bit on earlier is, you know, you hear so often, especially in the online space, business owners are defining their success through how much revenue they're bringing in. They're like, yeah. I'm a multiple six figure. I'm a seven figure, eight figure, probably 10 figure. I mean, in the internet, everything gets blown up year over year. Right. And when I hear you know, business owners talking about this, I think, okay, that doesn't really impress me because I want to know what profit you're making. Yeah. Are you bringing money home? Because over the two decades that I have worked and I have worked with various businesses and different sizes and, you know, smaller business up to multiple seven figure businesses can go bankrupt if they're not making that profit. Mm -hmm. Right. And 82% of businesses fail due to financial mismanagement. And typically that's either you're spending more money than you're making in your business, or you've got cash flow issues. So it's really important to manage your, your business finances so that you can keep your business in business for the long term. And if you're not looking at how profitable your business is, in other words, if you're losing money month over month, year over year, your capital resources will run out and you will eventually have to close your doors. 
Yeah. Whenever I hear like an online course creator say they had a six figure launch, like a hundred thousand dollar launch, my mind immediately goes to, oh, I bet like 50 of that was affiliate commissions and another 40 of that was like Facebook ads. Like, who knows? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then you probably had to pay staff, mm-hmm. you know, you have your team, your copywriter, you're this, you're that. And my, my bet is they're not making money. Not yeah. even that extra 10 grand that you so generously gave them. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're 10% profit. Yeah, because the thing about <laughs> revenue is, I mean, if you're willing to spend, you could essentially, like, you can basically buy your revenue, right? I mean, if you're spending mm-hmm. it, you can spend as much money as you want if you have a revenue figure in mind. That's obviously not the profitable or smart way to go about it. Mm-hmm. What I'm kind of curious about is I noticed like in your, like in the sentence, you said seven figure mindset. And I don't know why, but my mind immediately went to that mindset. And I was kind yeah. of picturing all of this, like all of the stuff that we do where we're like manifesting our seven figure business. Is this part of what you're thinking about? And the fact that no. people aren't. <laughs> oh, okay. Cause I was immediately like, they need to manifest, like people need to manifest like a few hundred thousand dollars in profit rather than just thinking about this, like just thinking about the revenue number in a silo. No. And that's what, you know, I, to be honest with you, that drives me a little bit batty when I hear manifesting and stuff uh-huh. like that. Like, I mean, mindset is absolutely important. And, you know, there's a lot of really great mindset coaches out there who really, you know, do their thing and that's great for them. But, you know, I look at it more practically. Right. And, you know, when, when we're talking about money mindset, I talk about like stories that you have those money stories, money is the emotional, in my opinion, the most emotionally charged topic there is out there. Everybody has a money story and it can be from as early as your earliest childhood memory. So if you're carrying these money stories, we all know as a business owners, we have to have really good mindset. We have to be, you know, on, on at the top of our game to put ourselves out there, make ourselves vulnerable, expose ourselves to risk, all sorts of things, right? But if you're carrying these money stories and you're not really aware that you're carrying them, they can hold you back in your business, right? So for yeah. example, if you've got some issues about um, pricing your products or services for what they're worth, that's a money mindset issue. Right. And you need to really look at, you know, how you're approaching it in your business, because, you know, you need to price your, your services to your value and your products to be profitable. Right. So it's really important to have that positive mindset, that really good relationship with money so that you're, you're willing to accept and receive proper compensation. Yeah. A big part of my money, I can share a big part of my money story. was whenever I asked for something as a child, my mom's favorite response was, oh, well, we'll just go pick it off the money tree out back. Right. I think a, a lot of parents like to say that, but now as an adult, I've kind of jokingly, I named my business bank account. Cause when you log in, you can like name your different accounts. I named my business bank account, my money tree. And like my mantra to myself is I do have a money tree. It's my business and it will grow and it will flourish whenever mm-hmm. I treat it well, like water it all. Well, you don't really water a tree, but you get the picture, prune it. I get the, you have to nurture it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to nurture it. Exactly. So I think a lot of us have that. I know a lot of my stuff um, comes around like the scarcity. They talk about people who grow up without a lot of money, like that you like to spend it as soon as you get it. Cause otherwise you're going to imagine that it's going to go away. Um, yeah. And it's taken me a long time to untangle that from my business. Like, Oh, I don't need to buy like sign up for a new course or buy a new this or that every time I get like a big client in my business. Cause that's not doing much for my, my bank account. Yeah. For me, it was sales. 
when I first started, right? Because I had that background in social work Mm -hmm. and working in corporate, I was never, you know, going out there generating sales. I got the work, brought it in, did it. So to be on my own and to ask money for people, that was huge because my money story from my parents was people who are trying to sell to you are just trying to rip you off, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. So that was something that was holding me back and I had to work through. Yeah, that's, it's interesting because most of my, most of my family, my dad and my extended family are all business owners. So I don't think I was raised with that one, but we all have, we all have our different stuff. So when it comes to that stuff, is that something that you help your clients with? Or are you like, no, I'm here more for like the technical practical side of things. And then you recommend that people kind of have someone to help them with both sides of this coin. I help them in identifying the issues, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, I can see very clearly after, you know, a session or two where their money mindset is at, Uh and if there's any blocks holding them back, but I'm a firm believer that a lot of, you know, breaking down those barriers is through action. So we talk about money mindset and it's always there through our program. However, if there's some deep seated issues, I'm not a therapist, so I'm not (laughs) going to be, you know, um, helping them with that, but, you know, I can help them as much as I, I, am able to, and then refer them to somebody who, who's better equipped and better educated to deal with that. Yeah. None of us want to practice therapy without a life, exactly. but then, you know, sometimes it's like, can I help you with this? Or do you need a life coach or do you need a therapist? Those are like very, exactly. three very different levels, right? Exactly. I'm curious because it sounds like you work with business owners at different levels of growth, different numbers of employees, different levels of revenue. Do you see these mindset blocks kind of reveal themselves differently based on how far advanced people have gotten? Because I mean, I could imagine if you get yourself to seven figures, maybe you just have something buried really deep or it's a different kind of problem that just doesn't present yourself until, you know, maybe you're hiring or something. I think you're bang on about it being a different kind of problem, right? So I can honestly say that every one of my clients has come to me with overwhelm and fear because typically what they've done is they have ignored their, their business finances and they don't want to look at them because they tie a lot of emotion to the numbers, right? It's sort of like the feedback on how their business is doing, or they're just overwhelmed and they don't know what to do. So some seven figure businesses have done really well in bringing in that revenue, but they haven't done well on the back end in terms of understanding how to make their business profitable. So they're thinking that if they've got, you know, all this revenue coming in then it's party time and, you know, they can afford anything. So when we truly sit down and look at the numbers, a lot of them are shocked, right? Because they're like, wow, I didn't realize that I wasn't making as much as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. because they don't think about the expenses that are all going into earning that revenue. So I get a wide variety. I get a lot of tears. I get a lot of self-doubt. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with, with people and their money. Yeah. Yeah. I had a conversation on Instagram. It was probably a couple months ago now, but I just said something. And after I said it, I was like, that was really smart, Braden. You should put that on a bumper sticker. We all have those moments like every few months, right? <laughs> I ended up making an Instagram post about it. And essentially it was someone who had like quadrupled their money, like from their previous year, their revenue, like they just launched their business. They did like 30 K year one and like over 200 K year two. 
but she told okay. me that she hadn't saved any money for taxes and she was terrified and she was like, I'm so dumb and I'm so bad at this and I don't know what I'm doing. And I told her, no, 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 no. I was like, clearly you're an excellent marketer. Your tax and finance skill just needs some time to catch up. Exactly. So like, that's not a huge problem, but hopefully you catch it and you realize it before you get too far. And a lot of people, they're going to get very far because they're just very charismatic. They're a really good marketer. Maybe they're a good salesperson. Maybe they're just really empathetic. So they're not someone you would naturally consider like a showboat or an extrovert, but they connect really well. And mm -hmm. you have that innate skill that enables you to make a lot of money. But at some point, you know, you got to work with a Melissa to figure out what to do, what to do with it all. <laughs> I mean, it's so true. And what I say to my clients, you, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? right? So once you know, then that's a great learning opportunity. But to beat yourself up over mistakes, because where do we learn this stuff, right? Yeah. We, no we never learned it in high school. If you went to school for college, you probably you know, you're, you're taking courses that are mastering what you want to do. Who wants to do business finance, right? Yeah. Yeah. I took one finance course, uh, cause I was going to do a business minor and I was so bummed because about a weekend, I was like, I hate this. I thought I was going to be learning personal finance. And instead we're learning, oh, you know, these like corporate, yeah. uh, all these corporate, what do they call them? Equations or, you know what I mean? Anyway, yeah. not my vibe. <laughs> okay. Um, love the, love the mindset conversation, but let's, let's jump to another topic. Um, you also said you have three reasons why your business needs a reserve of cash. Now, I feel like I can maybe guess a few of the reasons they might not align perfectly, but I'm super curious, especially after the shit show that you know, like COVID threw into everyone's yeah. business. Yeah. Cash is queen for sure. Um, cash is the lifeline of your business, right? So if you're going to be running out of cash, then you're essentially going to be in big trouble. So having a cash reserve in place is like a security net. It's like an emergency fund. And, you know, we were so hammered into our heads about personal finances needing an emergency fund to get us through, you know, three to six months. The same applies to, to business because as we know, we all experience ups and downs in our business. Mm -hmm. So when things are great, business owners quite often want to, you know, celebrate and spend the money and go on vacations and what have you. Right. And I judge not, but you need to think about how much cash you're putting aside to get you through the times where it's going to be much leaner, because that is where, you know, you really need to start planning and having that, that plan together in place to make sure that your business is in business for, for the longevity, right? So what I say to business owners is first, when you are assessing your cash situation, let's say everything's going really, really well, and you're, you're creating your cash reserves, you also have to consider like, you know, lines of credit or, or loans or what have you, right? Lines of credits are preferable because you only pay interest on what you're borrowing, right? But if you look at your situation when you're in a downward spiral and you need that money and you need that line of credit and you go to your bank and you ask for it, chances are they're going to say no because mm -hmm. you need it. So you need to plan ahead and get those things set up when things are going well so that you have that plan for when things are a little leaner, right? So this is like my top tip because people don't think about this, right? And why, why should you? You only think about it when you need it right? So having that cash reserve in place helps you because 
it gets you through the leaner times and it ensures that you are going to continually function during the leaner times, because as I mentioned, cash is the lifeblood of a business. So I'm curious if you would agree with me on this and I always like to play devil's advocate. So if you disagree, please let me know. We can chat about it. I feel like Dave Ramsey would disagree. Probably disagrees about everything. Um, Personally, as a business owner myself, I actually prioritize business savings over personal savings because my philosophy on that is, well, if I have enough business savings to pay my own payroll for three months, then I'm not going to have to use my like my personal emergency savings because at least I'll still be paying myself. I mean, mm-hmm. does that make sense to you? Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I didn't mean to say like prioritize your personal savings. I meant for your business. Keep your business cash reserve in check so that you can keep your business going. Absolutely. But what you're saying makes absolute sense because if you're on payroll, then you've prioritized paying yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't interpret you as saying anything against that. I was just pointing out, you had mentioned personal savings and I think both are important, but if you're starting from scratch, um, I feel like I would start by building up the personal savings first, depending on, you know, a variety of life circumstances, I'm sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, whether it's personal or in business, keep that cash. (laughs) I think we can agree on that one. (laughs) For sure. Well, how much, I'm sure you get asked this question all the time and I'm sure it's, you know, circumstantial, but typically how much savings do you think a business needs? Like one month expenses, six months? Yeah. You're going to hear a lot. Like, I mean, I think the, the average advice is three to six months of business expenses to get you through, but considering we are in the 2020s, it's been a little bit of a shit show. So I'm going to say six to 12 months would probably be on the, I mean, it's very conservative, but we're living in times that are so uncertain right now. So having more of a cash savings will never hurt you. And if you've got more than three to six months saved, Um, And people are thinking, well, why would I want to keep my cash in something so liquid that's not making me any money? You can put it in short-term investments, but it's there if you need it. Right. And when you're advising six to 12 months, does that cover, are you also including owner salary as an expense? Absolutely. Okay. And that's the problem. Like I find so many business owners, especially smaller size business owners, they're not putting money aside to pay themselves. Right. So what I typically see is business owners who are paying themselves with what's left over. And that's a big mistake because you need to ensure that you're paying yourself so that you can survive on a personal level. Right. We all have personal expenses that we need to meet, whether it's rent, mortgage, food, electricity, whatever we have expenses. So ensure that you are planning and budgeting to pay yourself right from the beginning of your business. And if I came to you, Melissa, I feel like this is where people get really tripped up. If I came to you and I said like, Hey, I just started my business. Like my monthly overhead is only a couple hundred dollars a month, but Mm -hmm. some months, you know, this month I might only make $500 next month. I might make 2000. The next month I might not have profit because I'm a brand new business owner. Is there a point at which you're going to say, all right, well, once you're making like consistent 5k a month, we're going to implement all these systems. Or are you saying, I really think that you need to get in the habit of paying yourself X amount of dollars per month, even as, as a young business owner. I think as a young business owner, you need to pay yourself unless you are in a position where you don't need that money. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say you have a spouse supporting or what have you. Right. But most of us have expenses that we need, need to meet. And so if you've made 
I don't know, let's say your expenses are a thousand dollars a month. Let's just say mine are never that low. I wish they were, <laughs> but for simplicity's sake. So let's say you made $5,000 this month and you're like, woohoo, I've got $4,000 to spend. It goes back to the cash reserve story that we were talking about, yeah. right? Keep that money, especially because you're starting out and you don't know when the next $5,000 are going to come in because the following month, if you just have $500 of revenue or no revenue, then if you kept that cash in the bank, then you have money to cover your expenses. But the other thing too, when you're starting off as a business is if you want to grow your business, it's often not a bad idea to reinvest that profit that you made and reinvest it into systems that'll help you grow your business as well. Yeah. I, so I'd love to chat about that because I, so I have this concept I've talked about before I've done like webinars on it and I call it the, what the fuck happened to my money hamster wheel. It's where every time you make more money, you reinvest the money. And at some yes. point you get to the point, this was the realization I had my third year of business. It was really my second full year of business. I did 70 K in revenue. My expenses was my expenses were about 50,000. And I went to do my tax return and I was like, I made like I made money this year. Like I made revenue, but I did not bring home more money than I made last year when I had 30K. And I think especially when we mention like you can treat it a little bit differently when you have another source of income, like a spouse. This is where I was. Um, my spouse had supported me through law school. He was then supporting me through the first couple of years of my business. So it was easy for me just to kick the can down the road. But at some point you have to say like, no, like, no, I need to focus on profit and paying myself. How do you like help your clients differentiate between uh, when it's time for them to really focus on profit and paying themselves versus reinvesting in their business and that being the best idea? Um, so right at the beginning, right? So one of the first things I do with my clients is we create a financial plan for the business. So getting really clear on where they want their business to go. So if they're happy making, let's say a hundred thousand a year, and they're already reached that. And now they just need to focus on making sure that they pay themselves, then that would be a priority. But if they're at a hundred thousand dollars a year and they want to get to a million and beyond, then what we do is we create that financial plan and ensure that while you're bringing in the revenue and you're still paying your salary and you're still keeping up with all your expenses, that you have that profit margin. So let's say, I don't know, the average profit margin for a business is 20%, right? It's going to depend and vary on your industry, but let's just use 20%. So if you bring in a hundred thousand after you've paid all your expenses, including your salary, and you still have $20,000 left over. That's great. You've got a 20% profit margin. So let's say you are making a million dollars and at the end of it, you've only got $20,000 left. That's not a good profit margin. Your profit margin has shrunk, right? Because your revenue grew, but your expenses grew with it. So it's really important to manage your expenses while you're growing your business and keeping your revenue tight. Because if, you're, if your profit margin is shrinking, then what that means is you're working harder to create profit in your business. Yeah. So having those financial plans in place that include paying yourself and then reinvesting that profit into your business to grow it, and then making sure that you're monitoring your profit margins so that they're staying consistent is the best way to grow your business and the best way to create profit. Yeah. And I just want to clarify a little bit for my audience because they've heard me say now several times that we're shooting for profit of 60 to 70%. When I talk about you're profit, coaching. yeah, <laughs> when I talk about profit though, 
I'm usually referencing profit before you've paid your own salary. So if you're going to pay yourself a $40,000 salary on $100,000, your profit before you pay that might be 60 or 70% after would be 20%. So um, yeah. I give those like different terminology in my programs. Yeah, I'm a big through. fan of including your salary before you consider your profit margin because yeah. you have to pay yourself a salary. You yes. just have to, yeah. Yeah, I call them, um, I call profit before salary your owner profit. Yeah. Uh, and I call profit after salary, your business profits. That's what goes on the taxes. But we do yeah. that in particular because I have some business owners, most, a lot of people aren't on S corps. So they're not like on a formal salary. Yeah. Um, but yes, super I mean, helpful. you certainly know what you're doing and we're ultimately talking about the same thing. Yes. We just, we're looking at it different ways. Yeah. But I had this, I kind of had this epiphany because I was, um, talking to a friend of mine and she said, Oh, we're really excited because we're going to hit 25% profit this year. And in my mind, I was like, that's not, that's not very much, <laughs> but she, she was a partner in a business and that she was talking about after paying two owner salaries. So I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You're doing, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, Melissa, what I think I'm just curious to get your thoughts on this is I've actually meant to make a post on this before too, but I often see just in my mind, profit is kind of a bell curve. Because in the beginning of your business, your profit's going to be kind of low because you're going to have expenses and maybe not any clients or many clients. And then you're hopefully going to get more and more profitable. But at a certain point, you might start hiring more employees, expecting that your profit margin is going to go down. But, you know, 20% profit on a million dollars is still more money in your pocket than 50% profit on $100,000. Is that the typical trajectory you see as well? I mean, it entirely depends on the business too, right? And what the yeah. business owner's goals are, because you can keep increasing your profit and maintaining good profit margins, um, especially in coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, you're going to need a team. Yes, you're going to need all sorts of different things, but there's very creative ways you can bring in revenue. Like if you're getting into group programs and all sorts of stuff like that, you can still have that high profit margin. So it completely depends on the business. But I mean, that bell curve too reminded me of like, okay, so you've increased your profit, increased your revenue over the years, and now you're kind of winding down. It's very common for mature companies to sort of like slow down, wind down, things get a little, you know, slower, but it also makes me think of like, Hey, wait a minute, you can sell that business. <laughs> so, but that's a conversation for another day that I, I think that entrepreneurs really need to be aware of before they wind down their business. Yeah. I think in my mind, the way I'm thinking about it is as you grow and scale, your profit, like maybe your profit margin percentage wise could decrease, but your profit dollar amount is still going to. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But I'm still, a, I'm still a big believer in keeping those profit margins tight, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to, um, work harder for that profit. Mm -hmm. Do you see that? Right? Do you have people when, when people, I'm sure a lot of people that come to work with you are kind of coming to work with you after they've had an, oh shit moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how many of the, like, are many of those due to people like hiring too fast or spending yes. too fast? Cause they think that's what they need to do to scale. Exactly. Yes. I mean, there's so many coaching programs out there that, you know, people are just following to a T and not realizing that, you know, their specific, um, situation applies only to them. Like, you know, it's not a cookie cutter type of business yeah. and, you know, they're, they're hiring people that they they're not ready for yet, you know, or they, they think they can afford, but they never really crunched the numbers to see that, 
they actually cannot afford to be bringing on a team. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that advice all the time. I've heard it a lot recently um, from Mm -hmm. a few different people of like, you have to hire before you're ready. And I'm sure that there are elements of truth to that, but it still makes me very nervous when it's not mentioned with uh, very much nuance. Exactly. Like, especially, you know, you hire an employee who thinks they're, you know, coming in for a full-time job and then find out two months later, the owner doesn't have the cash to pay. Like that's such a disservice to not only the business owner, but the employee as well. Yeah. I think I've heard this like mostly from people who are growing, they're growing at a rate that they like can't keep up with. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, if I'd hired a couple months ago and gotten them trained, we'd be perfectly positioned for where we are now. But I think those kind of decisions are decisions that probably cannot be made without someone like a fractional CFO on your team. Exactly. I was just going to say like, you need to crunch those numbers, get that plan going so that you can see the proof in front of your eyes that says, okay, you can handle bringing on a new hire because so often, like, let's say for sales examples, right? People are like, oh, I need to bring a salesperson in, but they're not considering that it may take four to six months for that salesperson to start ramping up and bringing in the revenue that you're expecting. But a lot of business owners expect it on day one. And that's usually not possible. So having that planned into the financial plan and seeing how that's going to affect your, your profitability and such. And I'm not saying that, you know, like if your profit margins are 20%, they have to be 20% every month, right? Like that's not the way it goes, but you want to stay consistent, but there are going to be times where they may dip a little bit, but the key is keeping them up as, as much as you can. That's the goal. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's say I think I'm ready to hire a salesperson. We'll put this in context. So I work with a lot of service-based business owners. And at some point, a lot of you, my podcast listeners are going to get to the point where you're busy with clients. You don't, you don't have time to be dealing with intake and all that stuff anymore. So maybe you want to hire someone. And if I'm this person, am I going to say, if I come to you and I say, Hey, Melissa, what do I need to show before I can hire this person? Is it, these are kind of two scenarios I'm thinking of scenario a I've showed maybe three consecutive months, enough profit in my business to hire this person now without an immediate ROI or B I have enough money saved to pay this person's salary for six months on top of all of my other like emergency savings, which of those like, do you like better? Is it in the middle? Something like that. I like this six. I'm, I'm an accountant though. I'm very conservative by nature. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And even though I may take risks in my own business, I would never advise somebody the riskier situation, yeah. right? You, you know, you want to be conservative and you want to be helpful and having that six month, um, runway is way more helpful. And, um, just, I would also punch the numbers. Right. So it's like, you can come to me with two different scenarios, but you know, sadly, I'm going to have to see the numbers to see how it works, get those numbers going and see how it's going to work in the overall financial plan. Because quite often people are told, well, you just need to do this and it's going to work. And there's no proof or substance behind it. And it fails miserably. Yeah. I had, I had a friend, so I had a friend who has a law firm, she's a business partner. And they wanted to hire a paralegal. They had actually left a previous law firm to start their own law firm. And they wanted to hire their previous paralegal. But that was, she had a very comfortable job. And so they were like, we don't want to hire her until we're ready, right? Because we don't want to mistreat mm-hmm. her. And their goal was to have a full year salary saved before they hired her. 
And I think that's great. But at the same time, in my mind, and I, this is what I asked her, I said, but if you were able to hire her sooner, maybe you have three to six months saved. Does that mean you'll be able to bill X amount of hours more per month because she's taking over this other work? And then B, do you have, like, do you have the client load already to fill those hours? Meaning like, are you currently turning away people that could be paying you? Um, This is not me giving advice, but I'm just like, as you can already tell, I'm the person who likes to ask the questions and prompt the discussion. Yeah. And it's a smart discussion to have because you bring up a really valid point. Like if they're bringing in revenue, then that's absolutely something that you need to consider. Yeah. Right. And it, I mean, I don't know, maybe paralegal might take a little bit of a long, I, I don't know how long it would take them to get to that point where they're bringing in consistent revenue, but if it's a month, then that's fantastic. But you know, there's still cash flow issues that you have to consider. Yeah. Like, like there's so many things that keep a business operating and it all comes down to cash, right? Because like, you know, the accountant in me is thinking, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. You bring up a really valuable point, but let's look at, you know, 10 different scenarios and what could possibly <laughs> go wrong. And are they, you know, collecting revenue on time? Are their accounts, are, are their accounts receivable? Like, are, is somebody monitoring them to ensure all the clients are paying? Is the cash really coming in? Because that's another thing that quite often happens in businesses where they have the revenue coming in, but they forget to collect the cash yeah. or they wait until six months later and then it becomes an issue. There's dispute payments. There's all sorts of things. So, I mean, all I have to say to that is every scenario is unique and I am so afraid to offer blanket advice because every scenario is unique. Yeah. I think this is such a good dialogue though, to get the wheels turning for people, even on like, we're not advising anyone when they should hire, but this is helpful. (laughs) This is helpful for people to start thinking about all right, when might be a good time for me to hire? And when am I going to go hire someone to help me make yeah. those hiring decisions? Like Exactly. Right. And it's just not a good idea to say, you know what, today I feel like hiring somebody, so I'm going to go out and hire them. And I've seen business owners do that and that's not the answer. Yeah. yeah. And to also translate this paralegal example for a lot of you, like a lot of my wedding folks, this could look like, you know, you accept 30 weddings a year. That's what you've decided you have the capacity to do. And, you know, you've gotten to the point where you turned away three weddings in the past month or two because you can't double book. And so what that could look like is hiring an associate planner, an associate photographer, whether you're paying them sourly or event-based. Um, Melissa, I'm guessing if you're going to pay someone at, on event on an, an event basis, then it's probably a little easier to do without a lot of robust planning. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, if you've got contractors, subcontractors, all sorts of, you know, hourly part-time employees, whatever that just takes, it minimizes the risk. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yes. So I have, um, actually just a couple of weeks ago, I had, uh, my friend Kira who has an HR consulting agency on the podcast and she advises people on that. I also have my friend Ashley who runs a group coaching program on building out your wedding team. So if any of you need any help with that, um, you know, you can work with your financial professional to decide if you're ready to hire. And then we have uh, fabulous people that will actually help you through the hiring process. Cause I imagine you don't want to have anything to do with that, Melissa. <laughs> I'm guessing. No, not the hiring process. <laughs> yeah, the HR. I mean, I don't know what your HR laws are like in Canada. I would imagine they're pretty robust. It's a very worker friendly place to be. Um, but here in California, especially, you can imagine things are 
very tricky between yes. our state laws, federal laws, you and everything. You guys definitely have a lot more rules. It's definitely way more regulated than what we're used to up here. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. So I had one, one more question I wanted to chat about. Um, you mentioned again, with one of your suggested topics, you said, even if you have in-house accounting support, you should always outsource your tax accountant. Why is yes. that? First of all, CPAs, you know, we're not just people hear us, they hear CPA and they think tax accountant. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily true. So there's a lot of CPAs who folk like myself, who focus on the financial strategy side. I am not a CPA or a tax professional. So that means that I am not studying the tax income tax act. <laughs> I am not staying current. I am focusing on growth optimization, profit optimization, the whole bit. And to have me do that tax return as a fractional CFO, it makes no sense. First of all, it's great to have a second set of eyes on the books because, you know, somebody's going to pick up things that you may not because you're so close to it, you don't see it. And secondly, get that tax professional who is well-versed and understands what's going on in state laws, country laws, you know, federal laws, and they can help you with the optimization of the tax strategies, right? So quite often when I'm working as a fractional CFO, I work closely with a tax accountant so that I'm ensuring that we're optimizing the tax saving strategies for the client. And I can translate all that information for the client, mm -hmm. but I will never rely on myself to do it because like I said, I don't practice it. So it's, it's, it's a better return on your dollar, return on your investment to get a tax accountant in there and get that second set of eyes and those tax optimization strategies in order. And does all of that apply in a similar fashion to bookkeeping? How so? Like, are you, are you assuming that that tax accountant is doing their bookkeeping or are we, if they're not doing their bookkeeping, you would also want a separate different? No, not necessarily. Like bookkeeping, bookkeeping is really important. First of all, I'll say that because if you are using a bookkeeper, who's not familiar with the gap laws, which is the generally accounting acceptable principles, um, then you're dealing with an issue where it may be more expensive in the long run. If you bring your books to your tax account and you don't have that fractional CFO or any sort of financial advice, that in-between person, mm -hmm. um, if you bring in, they have to correct all the shoddy work that a bookkeeper has done. So first having the right bookkeeper is extremely important. Your bookkeeper is not a CFO. So your bookkeeper is there to enter the financial data for your business. And um, they can be, you know, an arm of the tax accountants firm or whatever. They don't have to be separate, but they can be separate as well. Am I getting confused in this? <laughs> Nope. It's, nope. it's kind of turning into a long explanation. No, I, but, think, um, I think it's helpful because a lot of people, I think a lot of people assume that their tax accountant can and will do their bookkeeping. It's not necessarily yeah. the case. Yeah. Um, sometimes tax accountants only do tax returns. Sometimes yeah. they also do bookkeeping. It's a little bit different. Um, yeah. For my audience, I actually have a fabulous bookkeeping company that I send all of my students and clients to. If any yeah. of you need a referral, please message me because they do pay me referral fees. So I will more than happily connect you. Um, I'm currently in chats um, to connect with tax accountants as well. Of course, for that, if you're US-based, you need a US tax accountant. Melissa, I'll probably need to get some recommendations for you for some Canadian folks because I don't know anyone just yet. 
Oh, absolutely. I've got quite a few that are great. Yeah. But I mean, it's a really great question too, getting back to the bookkeeper, because a lot of people confuse the bookkeeper, the CFO and the tax accountant. Right. And I was trying to clear that up too, because (laughs) your bookkeeper is not going to be interpreting the financial reports for you. Yeah. Or that that's not an expectation, nor would they be doing any sort of tax returns for you. And if, if that's the case, you may want to, you know, reconsider that strategy. I have seen many, many people bring their tax returns to non-CPA or non-tax attorneys or whomever, right? Right. Basically. And it's just, it's a mistake. Yeah. Ultimately, because I also educate on contracts, right? I'm an attorney. So when we're writing our contracts, everything comes down to the scope of services. When you're mm-hmm. hiring someone, look at their scope of services. I exactly. talk to so many people, talk to so many people who are disappointed because they're like, well, my tax accountant didn't tell me this, or my tax accountant didn't prepare me for this. And it's like, well, you're paying your tax accountant $500 a year to file your tax return. You're not paying them exactly. for consulting services, right? There exactly. are tax accountants out there who do tax accounting and CFO services and bookkeeping, but typically those are the type of people that are going to charge you thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. So it all comes down to you get what you pay for, and hopefully you're hiring people who are qualified for um, what they're saying that they're going to do. The way I would summarize it is that bookkeeping, CFO services, and tax accounting are three different roles. They're three different services. One person can be qualified to provide each of those three, but I would ne- never, I would definitely never assume assume that they would. Yeah, be. yeah, and that's a really good point. Like I always say, I don't know if you guys use the term client engagement. Uh huh. Or your engagement letter? Yeah, an engagement letter. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's yeah. More common I don't. About, I wasn't sure if that was just a Canadian term. <laughs> no, that's more common here with like attorneys and accountants, and not like my students and clients probably don't use it for their clients. But yes. Okay. But yeah, always consult your engagement letter before you start complaining about the services you're receiving. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because that is very important. You need yeah. to, to. You need to be aware of what you're paying for. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So we'll, we'll start to wrap up here, Melissa. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit about your podcast, the business society podcast. Everyone should go check it out. Subscribe. What's your show format? What do you talk about? Why should people tune in? So we talk about everything business. So, um, yes, I love to talk about, you know, the financial management side of your business, but on the podcast, we talk about when I do my solo episodes, that's typically what I'm talking about. And then I get some amazing guests on there who've all been entrepreneurs and we talk about their struggles and journeys that they've had in entrepreneurship. And I have had the privilege of interviewing celebrity entrepreneurs and celebrities or celebrities just like myself. I was going to say people just like myself (laughs) who are basically, you know, nobody. (laughs) And the one common thread that we all have is regardless of the size of your platform or, you know, like whatever advantages that you have in life, being an entrepreneur requires risk, right? Mm -hmm. And we all are putting things out there that may or may not work. So celebrities deal with that too. Just because they have a big name, big platform doesn't mean their products are going to fly. So this is what we talk about during all these episodes. So can you, can you name drop a couple of guests you think my audience would be familiar with? Yeah. um, Most recently I had Oren Claff. Okay. He's the guy who wrote Pitch Anything. Uh Uh-huh. That book. Um, I've had Rebecca Minkoff. I've had Candace Cameron Bure on. Uh, you know, the, the one from full house. 
Yeah, I say she's the one that's in like all the Hallmark movies, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. And I've had Allison Sweeney on from Days of Our Lives and Hallmark, that's and awesome. um, Gretchen Rubin. Okay. And I know I'm missing people. <laughs> that's okay. Everyone can. <laughs> yeah, everyone I've can got go a brain. Go tune in to find the rest. All right, Melissa. Final question. Are you ready? Absolutely high pressure. So my Facebook group is called Braden's besties. If you, if anyone listening hasn't joined yet, you should go join. If someone wants to become one of Melissa's besties, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. So you can find me on my website. My primary website is melissahoustoncpa.com. And there you can download a free uh, five-step roadmap to biz finance freedom, which will help you get your financial foundation in order. And if you're on social media, you can find me on Facebook, um, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And the handles are at Melissa Houston CPA. Beautiful. And we will get all those links in the show notes. So you all can just scroll down on your phone, wherever you're listening and click on those. Uh, Melissa, this was super informative, super helpful, and super fun. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love this talk. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.